Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, I'm here with my guest, Megan. I'm super excited that she is here today and that she is willing to come forward and share her story. Megan, thank you so much for coming on today. You're so welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Um, you know, just, it's been really nice hearing all of uh, everybody else's stories. Um, so I just trying to get awareness out there, you know, um, So like Maya said, my name is Megan. I'm 34. Um, My first abusive relationship, I met him uh, in 2008. We met at, I actually worked an event at a church I was attending at the time. And um, so we met at this church event and he worked for like an inflatable games company. Um, And so he had brought like some stuff to to the event. And so we met and we just like, clicked really quickly and talked a bunch and he was really silly and charming and you know just like super easy to talk to so I talked to him the whole time that the event was going on and it was just like I was you know really insecure and so the fact that this guy was talking to me I was like I don't know like butterflies and smitten or whatever Mm -hmm. and then when the event was over, I was like, oh man, we didn't exchange numbers. Like I'm never going to see him again. Da, 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 da. And, um, then like a week later we were at a local fast food restaurant and he came in to the restaurant and I'm there with my friends and I had already told him about him. And I was like, oh my God, you guys, he's here. Da, 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 da. And so, um, you know, at that time I was like, it's fate. And, you know, this is so exciting because now we can exchange numbers. So we did. And, you know, we exchanged numbers and um, that's kind of when it all started. And I have been out of that relationship since uh, 2010. Hmm. So, um, I don't know. I... I feel like when I got into this relationship, I had only been in one other like real relationship. I had dated a guy in high school. And then when I got out of school, I went to college. I didn't really have a boyfriend in college, um, but I did have this guy that I had like a crush on and I ended up um, hanging out with him. And I don't know, I just never really had like a relationship until, um, after uh, I dropped out of college and, um, this guy, like I really liked him and he ended up breaking up with me, like after we were together for a couple of months. So it wasn't really a real relationship. So when I got with my abusive ex, um, you know, this was like my first real relationship. I didn't really know the dynamics of relationship, I guess. And, um, you know, so looking back, the relationship was really odd. Like the way that it started was kind of odd. The way that he communicated with me was odd, but I didn't really know that until like until later, until I was out of the relationship and looked back on it. Like, um, he would go like a couple of days without talking to me. And, um, 
you know, I didn't want to be needy or anything. So I was just like, oh, I guess maybe this is normal. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we, we dated and we hung out and stuff, but he was just kind of, he was just kind of weird, you know? And, um, it was kind of like whirlwind almost in the beginning, like, um, he wanted to hang out and then it just stopped. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden one day I just didn't hear from Henry anymore. And I can't remember exactly how long it was like that I didn't talk to him, but I would text him. He wouldn't text back. I would call him. He wouldn't call back. I didn't see him for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, he was like, "Um, we should get married. And in my mind, I'm like, I haven't talked to you in weeks. Like what, what's happening? Mm -hmm. And I was very, because at this time I was um, 20, I think, I think I was 20 at the time. And so I was very naive. I was very immature at the time. Like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of relationship experience. And I was like, Oh, he loves me. Um, he wants to marry me. Like, this is so great. It just seemed like a very, I guess, almost like a rom-com thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And looking back on it, I just feel so for lack of a better word, like for, I feel so dumb, mm-hmm. you know, thinking that like, ugh, anyway, hindsight is twenty twenty and all of that. But uh, I, I even spoke about it with my friend. I was like, I don't know what to do with this information. And she was young too. I think she was like two years younger than I was. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, she was like, oh, well, he says he loves you. And maybe he just was sorting out his feelings. And that's why you had, why he hasn't talked to you in so long. And so, um, you know, that's, maybe that's why he's asking about marriage. And he just realized that he really loves you, which again, looking back is such a big red flag, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's such a huge red flag for, uh, for somebody to want to jump into marriage with a person that they barely know. But, you know, I, I, I missed it. I overlooked it because I was insecure and I wanted the boy that I like to like me back. Well, and I think like, um, the more that I hear other people's stories, um, and how similar it is that, um, a lot of, a lot of us have like experienced that where like, it's just like right away, like a serious, overwhelming expectation of commitment, like a marriage, you know, I, I only knew my, um, ex-husband. I mean, I was friends with him for a year, but we had only dated for like two weeks and insane and it's like you you can't I mean it's just you can't do that and so it's like it is a red flag you're right and I think when it's paired with anxiety or not anxiety sorry when it's paired with uh insecurity I mean you really do you feel flattered and you're like yep wow like this person really cares about me and I just want to be cared about and loved and 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 you know Mm -hmm. and but it's a red flag. You're right. It's, it is a red flag. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, so I have always had a really big insecurity about my weight. I've always, you know, have, um, my weight's gone up and down. Like I was overweight in high school and then I was overweight after high school and he was like very fit. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, you know, skinny guy is, is paying me compliments and paying attention to me. And so, my insecurities were just like, like it was, it was feeding that validation, 
right of you know i i thought for so long that i was undesirable you know mm-hmm. and so it was it was validating you know and so i guess that's kind of i guess why i fell for it for you know i was mm-hmm. like oh okay so so maybe i can be loved because before um before that one fault and so that again I was already feeling so down and um you know and then the relationship or the the boyfriend that I had that I wanted so badly to want me back you know he didn't want me back and so then I had this guy that was again paying attention to me uh found me attractive all this other stuff like so you know once he validated me I was like oh okay yeah we're we're gonna do this um Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was pretty soon after that, because that was in like July, I think, because we started dating in, I believe, April, I say dating, the event that we met at was in April. And um, April is a really rough month for me. Mm. (laughs) There's like all this like triggering stuff that happens in April, because we met in April, and we also like broke up in April. Mm. So, um, so anyway, we met in April and then, like I said, it was kind of like whirlwind, but then he was like finicky kind of and unreliable. And then he just stopped all contact Mm -hmm. and it's been so long. I can't remember like the exact timeline. I just remember in July is when he like, um, reached back out to me and was like, Hey, let's get married. (laughs) Um, so soon after that, we moved in together with a friend of his a friend of his had like a trailer and so we moved in with him and um pretty soon after that I found out that he was cheating on me um Mm -hmm. that he was talking to all these other girls and but I ignored it you know I Mm -hmm. I was like oh maybe I'll get better and and then I don't know if anybody else has experienced this but for me I've been cheated on multiple times mm-hmm. and anytime it happened I was like okay maybe if I do this maybe if I try harder mm-hmm. um you know it'll fix it it'll make him want me again mm-hmm. so and it didn't because that's you know not how it works mm-hmm. and um uh we had a mutual friend that I think had like uh pain a lot of pain and so he had a bunch of pain medication mm-hmm. and anxiety medication. And so I started taking his pills. Like I would, I would reach out to him and I'm like, I just can't handle this. Like, I don't understand why he's doing this. And so I would just take the pills to numb it. You know, I just didn't want to feel it anymore. I didn't want to feel bad. Yeah. Um, he would take my car cause he didn't, he didn't have a vehicle. And so he would take my car, drop me off at work, um, go do whatever it was that he was doing with whoever he was doing it with and um, come back, pick me up. And I would just pretend like everything was okay. He was going to be with, um, I think I found out like there was one specific girl that he was going to be with consistently. And I think she lives like... 30 minutes away or something. So it was like every day he was dropping me off at work and going to be with her. And one day 
he came to pick me up at work. He walked up to me and he was wearing her class ring on a necklace that he wore like all the time. Mm. And I was just like, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. Like he knew I knew, but to be so blatant and so disrespectful, you know, just not even caring that I knew right. it just like a punch in the gut, you know? So we, I got in the car, um, we drove home in silence. I didn't, I didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. And when we, when we got home, I, I said I was done. I got my stuff. I went back to my mom's, um, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And my mom was always really, really supportive. She never liked him from the beginning. She, you know, saw the red flags. Um, and she had always told me, you know, you're always welcome to come back home always. And, um, you know, so I went back home and I, for whatever reason, I was out of work the next day and he had texted me and he was of course apologizing and, um, felt so bad. And he, you know, said, Oh, it's never going to happen again. I've already deleted her number, this, that, and the other. And I fell for it. Um, so we got back together. I started staying there again. I think I only stayed at my mom's house for like two or three days at, at most. And, um, shortly after that, we went out of town, um, to a funeral, uh, like six hours away. And, um, I found out at the funeral, his sister was there and I found out that he had been lying to me the whole time we were together about his age, because when we met, he said that we were the same age. His birthday was in June. Mine was in July. He was a month older than me. And I found out that he was actually a year younger than I was. And then, um, there was a, there was something else that he had lied about too, um, that she told me about, but I can't remember what it was. And he had always told me that he was in the military, uh, and that he was, um, honorably discharged, no, medically discharged. And I found out that that was a lie too, but there was something on that trip that I found out was a lie about his military experience or whatever. And so it was just lie after lie after lie. And it was so exhausting. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is that happens in the brain that, you know, makes you think that, you can change them or whatever, but it's definitely something that I experienced. Mm. I just, I just kept thinking that it would get better Mm. and it never did. Um, we fought all the time. Um, you know, I, I can't remember if I found out that he was talking to other girls, um, before he first put his hands on me. Um, but we just fought all the time. He, he lied about random stuff. It was just, it was almost like pathological. It was just anything that he could lie about, he would. Mm-hmm. And um, it finally, he, the first time he put his hands on me was in um, July of 2009. So he'd actually been together for about a year before he was physically um, violent with me. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, um, sorry, I don't, I don't no, mean- 
interrupt, but I just wanted to say, like, I think like for people listening, like you can hear as well, like the buildup in your story. Um, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think as including myself, I used to think like, I will never be susceptible to abuse because I would never like let somebody abuse me. Right. No, nobody mm-hmm. would let someone abuse them. But then you are in a relationship and like the buildup and the emotional abuse that you were experiencing was building up. And eventually it, it results in physical abuse. And so it's like a year later down the road, I'm sure in the beginning, you never thought he's going to hit me or he's right. gonna be violent with me. Um, right. But that's why like, it's so important. Like when you are dating somebody and you are in a relationship with somebody, and if you see those red flags and those signs and you're being emotionally abused, like, mm-hmm. like just because you think they're never going to hit you, it does not mean that they're not going to hit you because like, this is like, this is a buildup. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. right away. It takes time. So that's why like, right. When you see those signs, like we need to like evaluate that and step out of that situation before right. it gets worse because it's a buildup. Right. And, and what's so crazy is for, with him, it really was just such a slow build because, you know, like I said, there was no physical, not even an indication mm-hmm. of physical violence for that first year. Like, yes, there was the manipulation. Yes, there was a lying. Yes, there were. And there were times where I can't remember specific comments, but he would make like, um, like almost backhanded compliments, I guess. Mm -hmm. So there was like this manipulation, this verbal abuse. And it was just like you said, like this slow build. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It was just, it's, it's so weird looking back because it's just, you know, this was over 10 years ago and I'm just such a different person now, but I did that when I was younger. I was like, Oh, I would never, I would never stay with somebody that abused me. And I would never stay with somebody that cheated on me. And you always, I think everyone has those thoughts Mm as a, as a younger person. Um, and I think that's something maybe that, we should try and stop saying out loud, you know, Hmm. because you never really know how you're going to handle a situation until you're in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when, and it's so weird because like thinking back on it, I don't remember being scared Hmm. when it was happening, I guess, but knowing what it led to, it's terrifying, you know? Yeah. So the first time that he was violent with me was like I said, in, in July of 20, uh, 2009. Um, I don't remember the incident, uh, but we were fighting and I, I said, I was leaving. I got my keys and I was like, I I'm leaving. We're just going to fight. Like, there's no point in me staying here. So I was going to leave, cool off and come back. Mm -hmm. And he took my keys and he threw them in the yard. We were staying with, um, his boss at the time. And, um, he took him and threw him in the yard and he sat me in a chair. Like, I don't know. I, I guess it was maybe a kitchen chair. So he sat me in the kitchen chair and just held me there. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I was there forever, you know, and I, I don't, it may have been 30 minutes probably at most, but it just felt like we sat there forever. And anytime I tried to move, he would just like 
look at me like right into my eyes, like just with this, like with this crazy look and Mm -hmm. like a part of me was like, don't fight. It's going to get worse. So I just sat there, um, you know, I just sat there and I waited for him to calm down, I guess. And, um, at one point he, I think at one point I kind of talked to him, like talked him down, I guess, like, you know, if I leave, I can cool off. We can both cool off. And so he finally let go of me. I went and got my keys and I left and, um, you know, it was just, it wasn't, it was just so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It just jolts you the -hmm. first time. I don't know if it's like this for everybody, but like that first time that they put their hands on you, that first time that they're so violent with you, that they're so it's scary. And it's just, um, like surreal, like an out of body experience almost. Mm -hmm. Um, and really from, from there, it just, it got worse. It never got any better. Um, we went through periods of where it was bad and then periods where it got better. Um, you know, so after we, after that incident, um, we still fought off and on, but I don't remember it being really violent. Mm-hmm. Um, he yelled a lot. He stomped around a lot. Um, but since we were living at his boss's house, I think he was trying not to make waves, mm-hmm. you know, not too much, like right. just enough, but not too much. Mm-hmm. And at that point we were together for about 15 months and, um, we moved into an apartment Uh, which was my first apartment that I got by myself. Uh, He was not on the lease, but he lived with me. Um, But it was the first time I had gotten my own place, you know, not with him, not at my mom's house. Um, You know, so I was, I was proud of it. Like I, I had achieved something. Um, I was working like even with the tumultuous relationship, that I was in, like, I was proud because I had achieved this Mm. and it just got so bad. Um, it was, it was just, it was so bad. Like as soon as we moved in there, every, every day was the fight. Mm. And a lot of the times that we fought, it was because I was confronting him for talking to other girls. Mm. Like I would find it on his phone. I would find it on the computer you know, the, just like, and I don't remember exactly when it started getting violent after we moved in, but it started with like, he would throw me on the bed, um, or he would grab my arm or, you know, something like that. And one night, probably like after I had confronted him, we got into this huge fight and, um, he threw me on the ground And my head landed right next to, we had like a, just like a metal bed frame, Mm -hmm. like um, just the rails. And um, he looked me dead in the eye and he said, if that had just been a couple inches to the left, you'd be dead right now. It would have gone straight through your head. And 
it was just like so evil. Yeah. And it just like, it chilled me to the bone. Mm. And um, I don't know, that's something that was over 10 years ago. And it's one of those experiences that it just, it feels like it was yesterday. Um, you know, like, and he was one of those that he never actually hit me in the face. He never slapped me. He never punched me or anything like that. And anytime I would talk about him being abusive, he would say, but I've never actually hit you. Yeah. I've never actually punched you. Yeah. And (laughs) in my mind, you're so broken, you know, you're so broken when you're in these relationships. And in my mind, I was like, huh, he's right. He hasn't, he's Mm -hmm. never actually hit me in the face. He's pushed me up against the wall. He's choked me. He's headbutted me, but he's never actually hit me. And that I rationalized it, you know, and it just thinking back on it, it's just, you know, it blows my mind. Um, and I think that's something that we have to like, really, really talk about. And it's a conversation that like needs to be had. And I feel like it, like we were, you know, it's, how do I say this? Like, you don't need to be abused to be hit. Like it doesn't, Mm -hmm. those two things don't coincide. Of course, like being hit, um, is a form of abuse, physical abuse, but like there are so many other forms of abuse. And mm-hmm. I think that that is, I mean, it's manipulative. It's a tactic. I mean, like, you know, my ex used to say the same thing. He'd say, you know, I never, I never punched you or I never hit you. And mm-hmm. then I would, I would like take that and I would think, okay, well, he's right. So it must not be that bad. That bad. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's so important that that information is out there you know because for so long we're like oh well they're not being hit so it's not abuse you know they're being pushed around they're being yelled at they're being berated they're being belittled but they're not being hit you know And and I don't know and I don't know if it's because there's no like physical evidence of the mental abuse so that I'm I'm not real sure yeah. Um, I, would, I would say also like, like people don't understand how mental abuse can affect like a person and, and their mental health, their well being, their physical health. And while you can't see physical bruises from mental abuse over time, having high stress situations causes depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, you know, you binge eat or you don't eat, or you take medication to numb the, the emotions that you're feeling. And those are bruises, but Mm -hmm. you can't see them. And so it's like, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I'm in this situation. Um, I feel like, yeah, that's the first question that people ask is like, well, Mm -hmm. it's you. And it's like, well, no. And it's like, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm sure things will work out for you guys or something, you Mm -hmm. know, sort of like, but it's like, no, we have to realize the effects that mental and emotional, um, you know, psychological abuse has on people's mental health because Mm -hmm. um, those are bruises. You just, you just can't see them. 
exactly. It's funny that you mentioned that because um, in 2019, I finally got a scene for my depression. I've had depression for as long as I can remember. And um, so in the intake appointment, you know, we're going through this. She's asking me questions, um, just this typical intake appointment. And she gets to the end and she says, so where's the trauma? Because every single thing that I was telling her was Mm -hmm. trauma responses, all of it. Yeah. And so you're right. Those are the, the trauma responses are those injuries Mm -hmm. from the mental abuse. Right. So it's, it's really interesting that you, that you said that because they do show up. It's just in a different way. And unfortunately, I don't think we are where we need to be, you know, as a society to recognize that yeah yeah I couldn't agree more and I think it's like even looking at it from a perspective like it's kind of like a I don't know funny perspective or like a funny take I guess like an example as an example but I feel like for bruising it's like okay you know um I have a bruise on on my cheek or I have a bruise on my arms or my stomach or my legs but it's like looking at that internally as bruises like okay where are you bruised are you bruised in your mental health? Are you bruised in your identity and who you are? And are you bruised in isolation? Like, are you bruised, you know, and looking at those as true bruises, because those are things that are over time, like breaking down a person and, you know, essentially, I mean, like truly, I think like foregoing and having high amounts of stress, like I mean, it can kill a person. It can make a person go crazy. They could form really can. mental illnesses like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Like it, it mm-hmm. really is like so dangerous and detrimental to, to somebody. And those are bruises. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's something that needs to be talked about more and people need to be more equipped to know um, that, you know, the results of, of emotional and mental abuse. And I think it would, um, maybe help others to like evaluate that because I think it, then when you look at it, you think, okay, well, like if I keep getting hurt like this, like there is actually consequences to that, or there's actually like going to Mm -hmm. be something that comes from that. Um, it may not be a physical, um, you know, a physical bruise or something, you know, you know, physical, but it's definitely going to result in some, something that's detrimental to my health. For sure. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. You know, if someone's getting physically abused, they're like, Oh, this is dangerous. I need to get out before he kills me. Right. But they, you, you're right. They also need to think of it as it could also kill you if you're being mentally abused. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I've never, it's absolutely correct, but I've never really thought of it like that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I think Uh, like, I say that also because I like, I think I shared it in my episode, but like there was a point where at the very end, I, I was like, so ill. Like I was like, um, really overweight actually at that time, I was like extremely depressed and I was on the verge of having a mental breakdown and Mm -hmm. the last days before I left and I came to visit my family, um, from back in America, um, I was like on a lifeline with a therapist basically in secret and I would call him and I would remember just being in this headspace where 
I was like, I was like not well. And I was like going to crack at any moment because I couldn't take another thing. I couldn't, like, it was like, it was, I couldn't take another fight. I couldn't take another and I couldn't take another, like, you know, confession about a girl. Like I just couldn't take it. Um, And yeah. Yeah. And, um, I would, I remember the therapist, he was like teaching me mindfulness. And he was like, when you're cooking to like, look at the spaghetti and and think, okay, what do I smell? What do I feel? Mm -hmm. How do I, you know, and I had to do that like second by second for like three days because I truly was like about to have a mental breakdown. And Mm -hmm. when I came home, my family was like, you're unrecognizable, like mentally, Mm -hmm. emotionally, physically, spiritually. And I, it took me a really long time to get better. I was really ill. And so, um, I think that's why I have the perspective that I do and why, you know, I think it's cool that you're, you know, bringing it up and we're able to talk about that because, um, it's something that people need to be aware of. And unfortunately I have had to experience it and you've had to experience it, but, um, through those experiences, we can warn others and prepare others so that they don't have to go through what we did, you know, right? or at least, you know, cause you know, as well as I do that people aren't going to leave until they're ready. Hmm. But at at the very least, we can make other people aware of the signs, you know, so that when it does show up, it, it just gives just enough awareness for them to be like, okay, this is not good. This is the red flag that I've been told about. And Hmm. so even if they're not ready, it's, I still feel like it gives them the leg up to, to know the signs. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that. Cause like, I, I'll have like memories pop up in my Facebook memories or pictures pop up. And I just, I know exactly what time frame it's from because my eyes are just like sunken in. I was so tired all the time. And this was before I had kids and I was so tired all the time. Um, you know, he would not let me sleep. Um, at the time I worked overnight, I worked a graveyard shift and he wouldn't let me sleep during the day. Um, he would either like try and talk to me or just like make so much noise in the apartment so I couldn't sleep. And I just looked like a freaking zombie all the time. Mm -hmm. I see pictures from then. And I just, I look worse then than I do now as a mother of two children, you know? And, um, yeah, it's, it's terrible for your health. You know, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I had the opposite. I actually, I lost a ton of weight, um, very quickly. And, um, I, I wasn't really eating that much less, you know, my, my eating habits hadn't really changed. Um, but just the stress of everything in both of my abusive relationships, actually, actually right towards the end, I lost so much weight. Hmm. Um, you know, and I even had friends that, and of course me with my, my issues with, you know, um, insecurities about my weight and stuff at the time I was like, I was like, Oh, this is great. Like, you know, I look great. And, but I had friends telling me, they're like, you don't, 
look healthy, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's seriously detrimental to your health. Um, but like, yeah, like you said, you know, you just don't another fight, another confession, another, you know, lie uncovered. It's just, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's exhausting. Um, and it was, it was all the time. It was all the time, you know, daily, there was something happening. Um, we can never make it a whole week without fighting. Yeah. We can never make it two days without fighting. Yeah. Um, I know it was just, um, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I remember, I remember that. Like it, I, sometimes when you're out of it, it's like, you forget like how bad it was like living like that day in and day Mm -hmm. out. Um, and you just feel kind of trapped because it's like, you have this like terrible, like sort of, uh, trauma bond with somebody. Um, Mm -hmm. and at one point they were this person who you thought they, they were, and then all of a sudden they're not. And you're like, it's just this terrible cycle and this terrible wheel that just continues to like turn and turn and turn, but it's like never ending like it it, day in and day out. It's just, um, you never know really what you're going to expect, but you get along. I remember, like, I think we made it three days, maybe if that, you know, and then there was a bad day and then you didn't know when the good day's coming again, you know, it Mm -hmm. was frosting. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, just hoping for a good day. You wake up hoping that today's going to be a good day. You wake up hoping that today is the day that they don't get triggered by something that today is the day that you don't. And and I got to the point where I just stopped looking, Mm -hmm. you know, I stopped, I stopped looking to see if I could find something, you know, because I knew it was going to be there. Yeah. I knew that I was going to confront him. I knew I couldn't let it go. And I don't know. It's just, and then you look back on it and you're like, why didn't I leave? Hmm. Yeah. You know, why didn't I? And I don't, I just, that's one thing that I would like to um, research more and, and learn more about is the brain um, when it's in that relationship and what keeps them, what keeps you from, from leaving? What keeps you from ending this terrible, terrible situation? I have this theory, like, I don't know if it's like actually, I mean, I've talked to my therapist about it. Um, and like how we were raised as children, like, um, and then you add like insecurity, um, and needing validation. Um, and then we pick partners who essentially like, we need them to validate us. And so whether they're like, um, emotionally unavailable or they are, they don't recognize our value and our worth, or they're cheating on us with a bunch of different girls. Um, it's almost like a project that we have because like we need this sort of like validation that who we are is enough. And so we people who, are going to treat us poorly because we need validation. And so picking somebody who's safe and who has it all together sometimes almost can be boring, which is really like backwards. And it's like, (laughs) of course we want somebody who like is steady and consistent and loves us, but because of 
you know, maybe we had like unmet needs as a child and we Mm -hmm. weren't given that, whether it be through a father, like an absent father or, you know, uh, you know, a mother who didn't, you know, listen or listen to us or validate us or whatever it may be. And so we pick partners who essentially we know aren't emotionally available, um, or who we need to, um, please to consistently Mm -hmm. accept and sort of like replay this sort of, um, needing to feel like we are enough and needing to feel like we are validated. And so we, until that's fixed, um, people will continue to pick partners who are, um, exemplifying these, um, toxic behaviors because like you need to be validated um, because you know that you are treasured and you are loved and you are enough. You just Mm -hmm. do by yourself, not needing anybody to do that for you, which is why so many women end up back in abusive relationships right after they just left one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, it's funny because I didn't start going to, uh, I went to one counselor when um, my second abuser and I were together Mm -hmm. and it, it was a, um, like a faith-based um, counseling service. And I liked it. I liked it just fine. Um, I don't really remember why I stopped going, but I didn't go to counseling um, until I was out of my second abusive relationship for two years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, <laughs> it should be blat- It should be obvious. Um but when I was in counseling, she was like, um, can you tell me about, you know, your past or your family, your past, your childhood, your dad, your mom, your, and so I told her, you know, about, uh, you know, my dad and mom divorced when I was really young, my dad had an affair. Um, and she linked it, you know, she linked my need for approval from my dad to these abusive relationships. And it's just so obvious now. But at the time it was just like this huge revelation and I'm like, Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, even as a person that was out of the abusive relationship, like I never linked that. I never put that together. Mm. So, um, of course you're not going to put it together when you're in the thick of it, Mm. but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting the way, the way that that works. Yeah. Yeah, it is. There's just so many aspects to it. And I think, I don't know, (laughs) it's just so much. It's just like, I just, I know seeing it from the outside looking in, it's like, now I see other women who are in abusive relationships. I just want to shake them. Cause I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, it doesn't get better. better. It's only going to get worse. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so hard because there's so many aspects and things that need to be dealt with from like, working through your childhood to, you know, working on your identity and Mm -hmm. and recognizing your value and your worth. Like there's just so many aspects that are tied into like an abusive relationship and why Mm -hmm. women allow themselves to continue to be treated so poorly. Right. You know? Yeah. That's one thing. Cause I have a son and a daughter and for with both of them, I have tried since birth just to instill their self, like their value in Mm. themselves. Mm. You know, I just, I want them to have what I didn't have. Mm. I want them to have that, um, that self-worth. I want them to, to be confident. I want them to know that they deserve 
all of the love and respect in the world. Mm. And I want them to know all of that so that when they aren't being treated with all the love and respect in the world, they know that they don't need that because they love and respect themselves. Exactly. And I think, I think that that's what it is, you know, when we don't love and respect ourselves, we seek it out in other people. And so yeah, that's one thing that I just, if I can get one thing right as a parent, I want it to be that, mm. you know, I want my kids to know their worth. Mm. I don't want them to try and find their worth in somebody else because I want them to know how worthy they are. Mm. Something I do with my son um, that I really like, and I think is important is um, before bedtime, like he'll say like his prayers and then I'll like stand him up and we kind of go through affirmations. So we'll mm-hmm. say, like, I'll say like, okay, say I am strong. I am enough. I am loved. I'm smart. You know, I am funny or like whatever it may be that I think are like attributes to his character and mm-hmm. um, having him say them every single day, because I think as kids get older, um, those will be ingrained in them. And so there will be this, you know, sort of affirmation of like, okay, when, you know, someone makes fun of me because I, you know, did this silly thing. No, I am unique and I'm special, mm-hmm. you know, and it's sort of something that has been ingrained from a really young age in them. Um, and I didn't receive that either. Um, but mm-hmm. it's like, I'm curious how that will, I hope, affect him in a positive way. I hope so too. And I love that you do that because I've seen, like, I'm on TikTok, like, all the time. TikTok is, like, my therapy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And there are so many people on there and parents on there that are doing affirmations with their kids. And it's, oh, it's something I need to start because I'm, I, I usually, I talk to my kids about, you know, you're smart, you're you know, all the great things that they are. Um, but you're right. I need to start having them say it so they will believe it, you know? Mm Um, cause I try to do affirmations for myself, but I think I'm still so, uh, not, not broken. Cause I feel a little bit, I feel less broken than I was a couple of years ago, but, um, I'm still such an insecure person that it just, it feels like imposter syndrome, I guess whenever I say those affirmations, because I don't believe them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is something that I need to do more with my kids because I think that's something though, that to recognize that is, I mean, I I'm not sure like where you're, you stand like in faith. I know I'm, you know, I'm Christian, but I know there's mm-hmm. different, um, people come on here and they, some people don't believe in that in God and that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but in my own like beliefs, like I, I believe that, you know, um, you know, there's essentially like lies, um, that come from, um, the enemy that don't want you to know and recognize your value and your worth. And Mm -hmm. so that thought of, you know, I can't even, it feels like imposter syndrome because I don't feel this way. So how can I, you know, I, I don't believe this about myself. Um, but like truly like I, there was a point where like, I was so insecure and I needed that like consistent validation from him that I was enough. And then when I left, I needed it from like 
so many people because I was like, I just need somebody to tell me that like I'm loved and I'm worthy because like, I mm-hmm. literally just felt like a piece of that. Yeah. <laughs> I felt. Yeah. yeah. I'm, and so that's how I felt. I felt awful and I felt like just trash and yeah. Well, and by the end of, by the end of uh, my relationship, like I didn't even get the validation from him. Not really. I mean, it was just such constant fighting, but so, but when I was out, like, yeah, I, I needed that, that validation, that love from like my friends and family. And that I always talk about how important it is to have a support system. Mm. Like I would have died, literally died without my support system. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I think about the women that don't have that. And I think that's just something that I want to be, you know, I want to be that support system for women that don't have it. Yeah. You know, I, every, every woman that I meet, every person that I meet that has gone through this, I'm so passionate about their story. I'm so passionate about their, um, them getting out. And I hope it doesn't feel ingenuine because I genuinely care about these people you know like I genuinely like I'm their biggest fan when I find out like that they're trying to get out or that they're making their escape plan like I'm just I will be your hype girl I will be your cheerleader because not everybody has that support system Hmm. I think that's why Phoenix is there really is just so people don't feel alone um so I'm really glad that you're a part of it and I know like involvement wise, there's much more like to be involved in, you know, at some point, but I think it's beautiful to like hear survivors who are like, I just want others to feel and to know that they are supported Mm -hmm. Um, because support was what became a lifeline for both of us. Um, And some don't have that. And so if we can be that for somebody and help them, um, you know, it's worth it. It's like nothing that mm-hmm. we lose in vain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I hope so. Mm-hmm. I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a part of that group just cause I, I do really want to lend, you know, any knowledge that I have, any experience that I have, you know, it, mm-hmm. at least if I had to go through this, like, at least it can help somebody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it will, I really do believe that even your story now and sharing it, like I guarantee that there are people listening who are impacted by your story, whether it be that they resonate and find something and they're like, I went through this. Um, Mm -hmm. and your story, I mean, you've, you're not even finished with it and it's, already impacting me. And so I know that it's going to definitely impact other people. So yeah. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to that, like just getting the yeah. responses and hearing that. Right. Yeah. I know um the last week that we were together was like really rough. Mm-hmm. Um it's interesting because like just one day I was like, I can't do it anymore. Like I just we were supposed to go, I was supposed to go out of town. Um, and it's funny because this is the time, you know, 
however many years ago, what, 10, 11, 12 years ago, uh, that I was supposed, that I was planning to go on a trip with a friend of mine because I just, I needed to get away. I needed to get out. I was so depressed. I was so, there was a new fight every day. I was terrified for my life. Like he, um, at one point, um, told me that he was going to drive by and shoot my whole family and kill them. Mm. Um, you know, we got into this, this huge fight again, and he came at me with a kitchen knife. He put, you know, put it to my throat. And for the most part, I tried to, I tried to not act scared. You know, I, I didn't want him to, I didn't want him to see me as weak. I didn't want him to know that he had gotten to me. So I always tried to act like big and bad and not, not scared of you and all of this. But when he came at me with the knife, like I was terrified. Um, like I was sure that that was, that that was it. And so he came at me and he, he had me and had the knife against my throat. And I'm, I started like crying hysterically. And he just said, I don't know why you're freaking out so much. The blade side isn't even on your throat. So he had it like backwards. Hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, um, it's a normal human response to freak out when you have a knife. So, yeah, but you know, it was just, it was so scary that whole last like two months, Hmm. they were just, they were terrible. They were tumultuous is the word I always think of. They were just, it was so terrible the whole time. And, um, you know, so we're planning, I'm planning for this trip. I need to get out of town. And, um, before I left, um, I had been talking to somebody and unfortunately he turned out to also be abusive. So that was unfortunate, but I had started talking to somebody. And so I had finally, it was like, once I knew that somebody else wanted me, once I knew that I didn't need this person, I was like, oh, I'm not completely useless. I'm not a complete piece of shit. Like, like Mm -hmm. he's been telling me all this time, I can attract other people. I'm not disgusted. Like he, he called me, he, he was like, he was like, you're just such a fat ass and you smell and just like all these terrible things. He was, Mm -hmm. you know, every single thing he could think of to tear me down. He did. And, um, you know, so once I, I guess once it clicked in my mind that I was desirable, that I could find somebody else, you know, I was like, okay, well, then I don't need you, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, when I was going to leave on my trip, I had told him, I was like, look, I can't do this anymore. I, it's exhausting. I don't want to fight anymore. Like I just, I need to be done. Right. So I left for my trip. It was like three hours away. And he called me and he called me and he called me the whole time I'm driving up there. Um, he's texting me. He's I'll do better. I'll be better. I, he just needs one more chance. Um, and just to shut him up, I was like, okay, cool. We can work on it. You know, when I get back, because I didn't want him bugging me the whole time I'm gone, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. So I came back home and he was still there. Um, And I had started um, a second job, like 
a month or so before this, because for whatever reason, he never had any money, even though he had a job, he could never pay rent. He could never pay electricity. He couldn't ever help me with the bills Hmm. because he didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. So I had to get a second job to pay for all of our, you know, utilities and rent. And so, um, I worked at a preschool and we couldn't have our phones on us. It was like against our policy or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I knew that if I didn't message him back, that I would be in trouble, I guess, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I tried to keep texting him back as much as I could. And one time my, um, boss walked in, she saw me on my phone and she took it. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I knew as soon as she took it, I knew that once I got home, it was going to be a huge fight. Mm-hmm. And, um, sure enough, I got home and, um, you know, he, why weren't you texting me back and who were you with? And what were you doing? And um, so we got into we got into a physical altercation again. Threw me around the room again. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just you know say, same same story, different day. Um, you know, and he one point one issue in our relationship was, um, sex. We always, he was very, um, odd when it came to sex. Hmm. Um, but me being a sexual assault survivor and I had never had consensual sex until I was with him. Hmm. And, um, you know, so I was like, okay, maybe this is what sex is like. I didn't know. Right. And he had, um, he had like a kink that I didn't really like. And basically, unless I was doing that, he didn't want to have sex at all. And so that, I think that was another reason why I felt like unattractive. I felt like he didn't want that from me. Like I didn't do it for him or whatever. So, you know, that was kind of like a, like I would, I got turned down like all the time. I would, I would say, Hey, do you want to, you know, whatever. And, and he would just say no, unless we were, you know, doing what he liked. And so anyway, he, I guess thought that that was a bargaining chip. And so he tried to start like being intimate with me and I didn't, obviously didn't want to like you just finished throwing me around our bedroom like I don't want to have sex with you right and um I guess he thought that if he gave me what he thought I wanted which was sex that I would forgive him maybe Hmm. and I was like no I don't I don't want that like I I don't want to do that and he was like um I remember I was like pushed up against our front door Mm um like that's where he started and he was like putting his hand down my pants and you know just trying to like kissing me and stuff like that and I was just disgusted I you know I didn't I didn't want any of it and he was like just let me do this for you I know this is what you want 
And um, he started taking my clothes off. And I said, you know, I said no so many times, like the word lost its meaning. Like, like when you say something so many times and it just seems like another sound, you know? Yeah. And um, so uh, we ended up having sex and I just felt like dead. Like I just felt dead inside. Mm. Um, I went to sleep pretty soon after that um, because I had to work that night. And um, so I went to sleep and I just tried to basically forget about it. And that was on a Wednesday. Um, So I went to work that night and I never came back home. Mm. I stayed with my friends. I stayed with my mom. I just never went back home. Yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know at the time I didn't know that it was, um, rape. I still have a hard time saying that, Mm. um, you know, because you think that rape is this violent thing or whatever. It's not, Mm. you know, so, uh, for a long time, I was just like, oh no, that wasn't like, it wasn't enjoyable, but it wasn't rape. Mm. Um, you know, so it wasn't until years later that I was able to, to say that. And, um, so I never went home, um, on sunlight on Sunday. I, so I, that happened on a Wednesday on Sunday of that same week. I finally worked up the courage to tell him that I didn't want to be with him anymore and that I had started talking to somebody else. I was like, look, I can't do this. I found somebody else. I do not want to be with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And he lost his mind. He was just insanely mad. Mm-hmm. And um, so he told me that he was destroying all my stuff. Um, he uh, sent me a picture of like my um, keyboard. He said he was going to destroy that. And so I, uh, I told my friend that I was with, I was with my friend and I was with the guy that I had been talking to. And I was like, I've got to go over there. He's destroying all of my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the time I was like, that's important. Um, so I got, I, I was like, okay, I have to go over there. Uh, the guy that I was talking to, he was like, I'll come with you. So we go over there and I don't remember, I don't know if I didn't have my phone or if he took my phone. I can't remember. But um, we get over there and I noticed that my work shirt was in his car. So he had, because I think at one point I had told him like, hey, I need to come get my work shirt. I have to work. And um, he had put my work shirt in his car, I guess, as a way to get me inside. I don't really know. Hmm. Um, So I got, I got to the door. I don't remember if I just walked in or if I knocked on the door, I don't remember. But as soon as I opened the door, he grabbed me. He grabbed my arm and I tried to pull away. And when I pulled away, I fell. And as I tried to get away, he like pulled me by my hair and drug me inside the apartment. Hmm. And so we get inside the apartment and he is just out of his mind mad like I've never seen him so mad and he did this thing where and he got mad where he would like almost like 
stomp run at me. And so he did that. He did that multiple times and he had a knife in his hand, like, cause he had, um, when I fell outside and he was trying to pull me in, the guy I was talking to had run up to him and he got a knife out of the kitchen. Cause the kitchen was like right by the, um, front door. Mm-hmm. So he got a knife out of the kitchen and he chased him with the knife and pulled me in the apartment. And so he has this knife and he's just swinging it around and he's so mad. And you said you were going to give me another chance. And I can't believe that you're leaving, uh, leaving me to be with somebody else. And I'll kill you if you go to be with somebody else, like just out of his mind, crazy, mm-hmm. crazy, crazy mad. And, um, there were like stab holes all in the walls, um, And so just back and forth. And like I said, I don't remember if he took my phone. I don't really remember, Um, but I didn't have it. I wasn't able to call anybody. I wasn't able to call 911. Um, And we heard a knock on the door. And um, it was a friend of ours that lived, well, a friend of his um, that lived in this same apartment complex. And so he let the friend in and the friend luckily like calmed him down and was like look dude like if you kill her you're going to prison (laughs) right um and so he calmed down a little bit and then shortly after that um the cops knocked on the door and for some reason he opened it I you know I don't he he had to know that he was going to jail right um but he opened the door um, and they took him away. They handcuffed him and they took him away. And I just remember crying mm. because I got him arrested. Yeah. Um, and I, his friend was there and his friend was, was a nice enough guy. He was, you know, I didn't have really any issues with him. Um, other, other than if he's choosing to be friends with this kind of person, he's probably not a great person, but, um, I was talking to him and I was like, I don't understand why I'm still upset. You know, like he did this to himself. Like, why am I so upset? Why do I think this is my fault? And, um, yeah, it was just, uh, the scariest day of my life. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was certain that I was going to die. Like, I don't have, I'm not a religious person. Um, And at the time, I think at the time I was, I was still like, I was still actively going to church and stuff like that. And I, you know, I remember thinking at the time, like the only reason that I'm alive right now is because God had him open the door to the cops. Hmm. Um, you know, but it just, it's another one of those instances that like, it feels like it was yesterday. Yeah. It's vivid in my mind, like, you know, um, but yeah, so they took him away. Um, and I never, I never had to talk to him again. Uh, he, his stepdad came and got all of his stuff out of the apartment. Um, he never, I think he called me once, but he never tried to come after me. 
um, I think I saw him around town like a couple of times, but I never saw him. I never had to talk to him, anything like that. Um, you know, I, I think the, the worst part about it all was just so how incredibly like broken I was like, I don't even recognize that person. Hmm. Um, I, there was one point where he, he like told me that he was leaving and it was like a month or two before, uh, before I told him that I was done and I begged him to stay. And I just don't know why. And that's one thing that I haven't, I'd like to explore like in therapy because that's something I've heard from a couple of other people in abusive relationships is the abuser said that they were leaving and the person that's being abused, it just can't let them go. Yeah. And um, I think about that and it makes me like sick to my stomach to know that I was just so so broken that I needed this person that was so terrible to me. Yeah. Like at one, at one point he had completely convinced me that I was the problem. Yeah. Like I was actively looking for a therapist be- and I remember telling the therapist like, oh yeah, I'm reaching out because um, my relationship is, is going badly. And I think I'm the problem because I overreact. You're crazy, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're too emotional, like, too crazy or and yes. you know, something else like just to add is, um, when you're under, so when you're being abused, um, for a long period of, I mean, any period of time, um, but a longer period of time, um, your emotional responses are going to be heightened because you're essentially like, you're kind of losing it. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, even in, I know that there was one episode with, um, I forget who it was, but we were talking about how she felt like part, like she's struggling because she's like, I feel like some of it was my fault. Like, what if I was the abusive one? Or what if, you know, my responses were, weren't great. You know, I would cuss or I'd get yell or I'd get mad. And it's like, those actually are really normal responses to being abused because, that's the only way that you know how to fight back at times. Right. So it's like, you do feel like you're, you, you do feel like you're going crazy. Um, and that's something that, you know, Oh, you know, you're crazy or, Oh, you're, you're overreacting or you're too suspicious or you're too insecure or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And you really feel like, you know, you're going crazy because yes. who you are, is just, I mean, you're, you're like disappearing and you're becoming this person who's insecure, who's mm-hmm. but it's for good reason, because you were put in mm-hmm. situations where you were made to literally like need to rely on another person, um, right. for your validation and right someone who's cheating on you and somebody who is manipulative and controlling, like no wonder that you are the way that you are, you know? And so it's just, it's all tied together, but yeah. Yeah. I, um, there was one, like, I think about some of the insane things that he did. Like there was one time that, um, cause we had a computer in our bedroom and I had looked on the computer one time and he had like a dating profile in our history. Yeah. With complete with his picture, his name, all of it, you know, 
And so I confronted him about it and I was like, Hey, um, like, what's this? And he was like, Oh, I don't know what that is. I'm like, well, it's a dating profile for you. Like it's your name. It's, it's your picture. Like it's for you. Oh, well, I didn't do that. Hmm. I'm like, so you're trying to tell me that somebody broke into our apartment, got on our computer (laughs) and made a dating profile under your name for what purpose well I don't know but I didn't do it and he never admitted to any of it like he stuck to those lies Mm. he stuck that the only thing he ever admitted to was that one girl like uh I don't know six months or so into our relationship that's the only thing he ever admitted to and it's I assume it's because I left Mm. you know yeah. Um, but every other lie, it, every other lie, even the age, hmm. his age, he still insisted that he was born in 1987 when his license said 1988. Like it was just, it was just insane to watch because yeah. it was, he truly believed it, I guess. Yeah. Just um, like, just like compulsive. I think it's just like, they lie to just lie about things. Like, right. I never knew what was the truth pretty much ever with my ex. And Mm -hmm. it's just, you just never, you just, you never know like the truth and it it's exhausting. Yeah. He, um, he had always told me that he was in the army, that he was stationed in Iraq or Afghanistan, one in like the overseas in the Middle East, because it was, it was during like the war still. I found out after we had broken up, I was talking to his dad and he had never served overseas. He had never been in like frontline battle or anything like that, which he told me that the reason he got out is because he got shot in the knee. Hmm. And uh, turns out he was dishonorably discharged and was only ever stationed in Alaska Hmm. but like the lies you know right yeah um it sounds like he's just um (laughs) I don't know I (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I just there's no words so what are your um dreams and goals now what's your vision for the future So right now I'm just focusing on like healing and thriving um, because before I feel like I didn't really give it, give myself a chance to heal. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I'm trying to like heal. I thought I needed to be with somebody, um, but like, I'm so content, so content, like with my own company Mm -hmm. that I'm like more happy than I've been in. I can't even remember how long. Um, I'm in school for social work. Come on. And I'm sorry. I say, come on, girl. I know. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, and my, my ultimate goal is to help domestic violence victims. Like my dream would be to work with them. I mean, not even necessarily a job, but like volunteering, like just advocacy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just helping 
any, anybody that I could help in this situation, mm-hmm. I want to do it. You know, anybody that I come across, I try and do everything that I can to help them. And so that's kind of where I'm at now is just, you know, putting, putting my like knowledge and kind of the research that I've done and like so that's kind of where I'm at now and hopefully finishing school <laughs> someday. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing because honestly, like being content with your own company, that's huge. Um and to think that there's a point in time where you weren't, and it's a testimony to other women who um, feel like that's impossible um, because you're doing it right now and you're, you don't need anybody and you yeah. are content with your company and you're pursuing your dreams and your goals. And it's just incredible like to hear stories like this, like yours, and just the amount of suffering and pain that you've had to endure and then to come out of it and to be able to say that, like, it's just, it's just literally so huge. Like I, I I don't know. I just admire you. And like, I, um, I think I'm fresher out of it than you are. And so like, I definitely Mm -hmm. have experienced a tremendous amount of healing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's encouraging for me. And I know that it's encouraging for other people who are listening because uh, you can say me too, but you can also say, look at the other side because there is one mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think one thing, like you have to feel your feelings. And I think that's one thing that I didn't do is that I just like moved past it. And I was, you know, I didn't feel what I was feeling. I didn't work through those feelings and like really think about what they meant. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of years, um, that I've been single is that, uh, I've just been like recognizing my feelings, working through them because you don't have to just stuff them down. Like you don't have to like, there's always a reason to feel something. So you feel it, you work through it. And, you know, I think that's, that's a way that you move forward. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do think there are some times where I'm like, a partner would be nice. There's plenty of times where I'm lonely. There's plenty of times where being a single parent is hard and having an extra person here would like be super helpful but I always want to keep in mind that it can't be at the expense of my peace. Wow. Yeah. You know, if anything is disruptive to my peace, that is my ultimate priority. Mine and my kids peace, obviously, but you know, that's something that like, it's fine. It's obviously fine to like, want to find a partner and want to be with somebody, just make sure that they're not disrupting your peace and make sure that they are only adding mm. to your life. It, I always remember saying when I was in my relationship, it shouldn't be this hard and it really shouldn't relationships are work. They're not easy, but it shouldn't be so exhausting. You know, mm. just make sure that that person is adding to your life and not disrupting your peace. I think that's beautiful. Um, because like, ultimately like 
you've just like those things that you're saying, like it's because you recognize your value and your worth and you deserve, mm-hmm. you deserve to be at peace and relationships. You're right. Like they take effort and mm-hmm. ability and trust and all of these things that can be difficult sometimes, but mm-hmm. it should be something that is adding to your life and bringing value to your life and mm-hmm. shouldn't be causing distress and confusion and right. where are we at and how does he feel? And, you know, like mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. Shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. And so I think really standing firm and knowing that, you know, you are okay without somebody it ultimately, I think that's the reason why I think you're able to say, um, no, sorry, this is disturbing my peace and mm-hmm. my priorities because you know right. that you're okay on your own two feet by yourself without anybody. Well, and like, so I, I have, I don't really even date all that much. Like, of course I'm on the stupid dating apps, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was like, I was talking to this one guy and I, there was a red flag and I just full stop, mm-hmm. like full stop. I can't. Because me 10 years ago would have been like, oh, benefit of the doubt. Like it's probably just a one-off and maybe it is, maybe it's a one-off, but there's too big of a chance that there's, that it's not, Mm. there's too big of a chance that this is a red flag and it's just not something I can ignore anymore. You know, I've ignored red flags for my entire adult life. Like I'm not ignoring them anymore. Mm. Yeah. So. And I think something that I do in dating, um, like I've had like one boyfriend since uh, my ex and mm-hmm. he was a really great guy. Like he really helped me, like spoke so much like truth into me about how treasured I am. Like he used to say that he'd be like, you're a treasure. And I love that. Yeah. And like, he was like, I just feel like I found this treasure and like, it sounds kind of like, like a line, but like he truly genuinely meant that, like <laughs> really felt like I was a treasure and like unfortunately it didn't work out and that's okay. But, um, it's just like that relationship taught me a lot and showed Mm -hmm. me a lot about what I deserve and that there are good guys out there. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, okay. So what's one tip that you would say to our listeners? Um, let me think. Uh, I think I'm going to come back to the support system just because I just think it's really, really important to have like, um, even if it's just one person, like one trusted person that you can lean on, you know, um, whether it's a sister, a mom, a friend, an online friend, you know, because it's hard that, you know, those first like months, year out of a relationship, it's hard. Mm. And, um, you know, so you need them. And then obviously if you're still in it, you know, if you're not ready, like somebody that you can talk to and somebody that is there for you, um, even if it's an online support group, like those are very beneficial. Most of a bunch of my best friends are online people. So, Mm. um, you know, I just think that having a support of people, um, you know, it's just super important. And then obviously if you can't 
get an in-person support, I always shout out my local shelter. And anytime, like anytime I see somebody from another city, state, whatever, I'll ask them where they're at and I'll do the research for them because that's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to research it, to call, to make that call. So, you know, sometimes I'll be like, Hey, where's your, where's your location? I'll give them a call and see what their resources are. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I think local shelters and they're always really good about making sure that you're safe if you're still in the relationship um so yeah I'd say that I'd say try and find you know a support system even if it's just one person and there's no shame around going to a shelter Mm -hmm. because there's so many like the people who work within shelters like they are experienced and they actually know like what you need and can help mm-hmm. get back on your feet and provide the resources that you need because recovering after abuse, I mean, it's tough and mm-hmm. having a support system and having people who have walked others through it. It's, it's like, it's a necessity. I mean, you just mm-hmm. need it. Yeah. And that's actually, cause I had mentioned that I finally went to counseling like two years out of um, my relationship and it was at the shelter. They had like a counselor, a licensed counselor there and they specialize in that, you know, they specialize in those domestic abuse relationships. Right. So, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's really important, um, you know, to reach out to people that have the knowledge in that situation. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's, I think that's what I would, that's a good tip. <laughs> yeah. Megan, thank you so much for coming on here. Um, I really appreciate you just like being open and sharing this story. And I know that um, we're actually going to have a second episode with Megan with you as well, right? Just to go over yes. um, more of your story. And I think it, is necessary for sure because um when you're going through abuse and then you get out it's really easy to end up back in it again mm-hmm. and so we're going to dive into her story and um so I'm just really grateful yeah for your vulnerability and um it's just cool this whole experience is just cool to me because getting to meet other survivors and hear their stories and then um, to hear the after part and to hear like where you're at, it's just inspiring for me and encouraging. So truly thank you. I'm really grateful that like we've just crossed, crossed paths. Yes. Yes. Me too. I was so excited when I found out about you, like <laughs> so stoked. Uh, but yeah, I just, I do really like being able to like show that there's a light at the end of a very dark tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So All right, guys, we'll tune in next Thursday for part two with Megan. Um, Thanks for listening.